Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and I am standing in for Pam Vardy, who has headed off on an intergalactic mission fighting aliens, I think. Either, either <laughs> that or she's up in New South Wales visiting the grandkids, so either or. Look, my favourite part of the show is getting to catch up with um, all the experts that we have on board, and today is no exception. Uh, joining me in the studio is horticulturalist Chloe Foster, Millie Ross from Gardening Australia, and Evan Golke from Ochre Landscape. Do you like that, Evan? I do. What do people usually call you? The girl got it. You can always guarantee. Uh, there's always an S on the end. Ochre Landscape. Ah, yes, or yes, yes. Or Ochre. Ochre Landscape. I was trying to encourage um, Evan to change his name to Brownie Orange Landscape, but he just was very disappointed. Well, there's many, many different ochres, aren't there? So many. There are. There are. So, and how is everyone? It's oh, awesome. happy to see some sunshine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, what, what a weather week, huh? Yeah, what a weather, weather week. weather lately mm. That, mm. Um, that it's been nice to have some sun this weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah first 40 plus day. Yeah. yeah. Pretty Real crazy. early, wasn't it? Yeah. Really early. How about Thursday? Mm. How crazy? Oh, it was, I mean, I just I looked at the sky and it's just absolutely full of soil. Yes. You know, yeah, That's what's, what's going on and... Um, yeah. A, lot you know, of people, a lot of people thought it was from the bu- coming down from the bushfires, that red. But mm. no, you're right. No, it was soil dust. from central, northern Victoria, central mm. central Australia that had been blown down by that hot northerly that we had. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah all it the ovals got a top dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it blows my mind when you see like dust storms. It's like, where has this red come from? It's come from the centre mm. of Australia all the way down to, incredible. to Melbourne. And I think, you know, like I was... We, you know, things really suffered. I mean, we've got young quince tree and all the tips wilted and burnt. My rosemary was wilting. What? You know, That's you know, it's hot. hot. I've got an espaliered rosemary on the fence. You know, it's there because it can cope with those conditions. All of that new growth, and it happens with this new growth too yeah. in the first warm days, even yes. days that are 28. You yep. see things sort of, you think, oh my gosh, do they need a water? They actually just aren't ready. Yeah. You know, the. the the, the actual sort of cell structure isn't mm. there to, to, to be resilient. But, yeah, we certainly saw damage just from that wind, um, mm. apart from, you know, all the dead wood coming out of yeah. all the trees. How good's that? Clean, clean up. And, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just such an incredible thing. And, you know, you've got to, got to think that, you know, think about trees almost. I remember that wonderful imagery of David Attenborough up a fire lift with a fire hose pumping water into the air from a huge fire truck next to an oak tree and saying, you know, this is basically how much water is moving through this plant right now mm. and up into the atmosphere. You think about the amount of water that's come out of our soil in that windy event. Yeah. When we've got such depleted soil moisture mm. as it is, um, yeah, I think I think it... I, I was pretty nervous, I've got to say. I watch, watch that sort of weather and it's, it's interesting. And as gardeners, you know, we're always interested in the weather, aren't we? But, um, yeah, certainly didn't make me feel good or, um, Excited for the landscape around no. me and, and, and what's for going summer. on. Like we're not even in summer yet. Yeah, it, bushfires everywhere. Mm, it reminded yeah. me of that Black Saturday day mm. in 2008 mm. or whenever it was. It was, the wind was so hot, so dry, coming straight from the north mm. and just so strong and yeah, yeah it, mm. it's a little bit scary but it's mm. kind of fun I'm not a sicko but <laughs> <laughs> there was two guys on my roof pulling off roof battens and we were sort of oh. like I think I think it's getting pretty hot I said no, I think it's a bit hot for you guys to be up on you know come down and 
And then, you know, within half an hour that wind picked up and I was very grateful that they weren't unscrewing <laughs> regimes. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, our gates blew down almost, you know, really large gates. There's uh, so much surface area mm. and, um, yeah, like a really amazing bit of weather. But, yeah, I mean... Look, we all, mm. I assume everyone out there in listener land here, we don't have to pretend that we don't believe um, some big things are on the way. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, that sort of weather. Yeah. I think in some ways it was good, the dust in the air, for, from, from a plant's point of view, mm. yeah. because it did soften the heat. Yeah, mm. probably. Mm. Whereas I yeah. remember about three years ago we had a really hot day early November, uh, high 30s. Right. And it just cooked all the ginkgo leaves in my garden, all on, you know, on the western side of the cops that I have. Cooked them all, so because they were still so young, because that's the trouble with ginkgos—they yeah. they come out mm-hmm. quite uh, late, mm. and so their leaves can be quite soft. And when you get that first really hot day, but mm. I think they're in a fairly wind-protected spot. But the um, the sun was was soft because there was just yeah. so much. It was pretty. Matter in o- there. It was quite mm. overcast on mm. Thursday. Mm. Mm. I do I do like dust. how you take a Pollyanna approach, Evan. So the the oval's got a top dressing. The the, the, the yeah. <laughs> The sun was softened by, the, by all the dust. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? Any you do have to look at the positive. Yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> but look, we're doing some work at Wentworth up near Mildura. Well, we did just a, a master plan for along the Darling River sort of area oh, there. And, and I was talking to the guy the other day and I said, you know, hey, one of the council people, and I said, you know, How's the weather today? Did you get some rain? This is a few weeks ago when we had quite a bit. Mm. And he said, oh, yeah, we got eight mils. But mm. um, he said, I'm pretty over the dust. We pretty much mm. have a dust. We haven't had a dust-free day yep. for a month. Yep. Um, so, you know, and they're getting all that down from, because well, they're actually just inside New South Wales, but mm. they're getting it all down from, from just north of them. Yeah. It's, it's horrendous. Like, um, watching a, a tiller, tiller field, you know, on a windy day mm. and seeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not the damage that's happening underground, but yeah. the, uh, the soil moving around. And soil just, is such a, you know, it is such an amazing, amazing thing you can't mm. build living it quickly. being yeah, yeah you can't build it quickly you no. want to make soil it takes time that's mm. you can buy soil from the shops and i tell you it's rubbish you it know is. it's yeah. not going to grow plants yeah. the way a soil that you build well yeah. and you, you can build soil on almost anything with mm. enough yeah. you know leaf litter and yeah. let the let the logs hit the ground and, and leave them mm. there but um yeah it is such a valuable thing i think it's not a not something you can buy no, uh, it is something you've got to build. So yeah. when you see it, I can imagine when farmers see it take off in a in a in a big um, flurry, you know, flurry mm. they'd be mm. pretty upset about that. Well, yeah. even a month ago, because we sail down at summers, so we drive through Somerville and there's huge veggie growing areas through there. Yeah. And even a month ago, it was it had been a warmish Friday, and on the Saturday driving down there, those fields were just kicking up dust. Mm. You know, already, mm. that, that was four weeks ago. Mm. So I hate to think what that was like on mm. Thursday because mm. driving past it yesterday, they've mm. just got so much bare land at the moment because they're getting all their summer stuff in. Yeah. yeah. And so, so much of it is bare. They yeah, would have lost a lot. Yeah, they lost so hell. much. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But then from a geological perspective, which is when I get excited, it's, got, it's going somewhere and it's going to mm. be... In the going on layer, it's ever somewhere. In the ocean. Exactly. It's going to lay somewhere else yeah. as sediment. When we look at, you know, geological maps of Victoria and the world or whatever, and you see all the different colours, the different types of soils everywhere and sand dunes that have been moved. And when you look at, you know, satellite images of Central Australia, you can see, you know, sand dunes that have been, you know, curved by the 
by the wind over thousands of years or something. You just think, oh, it's it's going somewhere, mm. but it's being taken from something. Mm. Yes. <laughs> it's yes. like moisture. Yeah. You know, it's like we're one big terrarium, aren't we? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> things yeah. just sort of move around and yep. um, some people end yeah. up wealthy in things and other people end up with, mm. with, with very little. But, mm. Uh, mm. yeah, I remember years ago speaking to Leon Kostermans who wrote... Um, oh, one of the most famous books in every, Australia. About every TAFE student has the little green one, the yeah. trees and um, trees of southeast trees Australia. Trees of southeast yeah. Australia. Australia. And I rang him, you know, just in, in my work capacity to find out because he hadn't published his his book, you know, been a long time. And and I got talking to him, and it turns out he's a geologist. Yeah, that's yeah. where his that's where his interest in trees came from. Was you know he just was always out having to look at the landscape, and he he started to read the rocks from a long way away because he could see what trees were there and um yeah just just an amazing um an amazing sort of uh way to understand the landscape yes. and i guess that's that you know i always say to people there's so many different ways to to go with gardening and there's so many different ways to get in as well mm. you know like you find home brewers get interested in growing hops yep. or yep. you know there's all these different people there's so many people interested in growing wheat now all of these bakers they just had this amazing um festival which i think they've done a couple of times uh which is new zealand and australian bakers all coming together in mm-hmm. in castlemaine and you know these guys are all looking at wheats that have been around oh, for hundreds really? of years heritage oh, wheats and yeah. and bringing them back into cultivation oh, and i love that That's yeah awesome. and they're you Low know gluten. these guys are going these guys are going going into gardening or growing through yeah. through that route and mm. there's just so many ways you can get into it yeah mm. yeah and That's especially for you know soils is one of the main um distributors for mulherain um, factors of plant distribution, different types of soils, and that's probably where um, Leon came at it as well. It's like, mm. why does this plant only grow in this certain mm. area? Mm. Well, it might mm. be the soil type that, yeah. that is in that area. It's really cool. Yeah. Soils mm. are so cool. They're so complex. But now, let's just have a whole can, show about soil. Yeah. We're not talking about plants. We do a whole soil, year soil, about soil. soil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can yeah. make it. All of these plants that we've got, you know, on the desk, they yeah. all, you know, there's, that's one of the things as gardeners, you're always trying to work out where to put things. And, yep. and often it's the, I find it somewhere that I fail sometimes is I just assume the soil is the same across the garden. Mm. Mm. And then, you know, something doesn't do particularly well. And yeah. you think, oh, it's probably actually really waterlogged yeah. there. Mm. You know, I didn't think about mm. that, but now I'm actually looking at it. It's a bit lower. It's on the downside of the, you know, and that doesn't like that. So yeah. as much as I thought it would look really good there, it's not very happy. <laughs> and it's really yeah. interesting because I uh, planted up a friend's garden recently, or last week actually, and it wasn't a large uh, front garden. It was things about 10 metres by 15 metres uh, clay. But over that entire area, we dug 30 holes. I mean, I say we, I mean Ray. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> dug 30 holes. And my thing is, before I plant, in this particular case, I had a bit of clay breaker in, in half a bucket of water, a, a, a touch of sea salt, and I pour it in, let it drain through, and then plant in. So the plant goes into a, a nice environment. Half of the holes, water just drained as you would expect it nicely. The other half, the water sat and sat and sat to the point where I was in the end, I was lifting the water out before yeah, I wow. could plant the plant. So, mm. And that's in such a small area. Yeah, mm. Mm. it's really mm. interesting because we do a lot of new sites. So, uh, like you know, large hills. sites, yeah, like schools and community centres. So they're on new sites. And we had some soil tested recently just this side of Geelong. So it's Purnell Road, um, Corio, uh, I think it is, oh, yeah. the suburb. And I remember walking on the site for the first time and thought, wow, it's really dispersive clay. You know, it's got, it had big cracks. 
you know, black soil, oh, you know, uh, nervous. Yeah, you, know, you can do it, but yeah. cricket pitch. Uh, yeah, correct, <laughs> that's right. And uh, anyway, as, as, as sort of the job has progressed and, and we got it tested and so on, the drainage rate of that clay, um, because they, they test drainage rate by um, how many drops of a weight. So you drop, um, you drop a weight on, you have um, uh, 16 drops, 32 drops and 48 or something like that. Um, at the 16 drops, it's, it's virtually no compaction. So you're applying compaction to the, to the ground, 32 drops more, you know, sort of over that you're talking about uh, football goal square, yeah. you know, where mm. there's people in it all the time. Bang, bang, bang. The drainage rate at, at the lower compaction uh, area was unbelievably quick. It was like sand. Wow. And, the, and I, I actually rang the soil uh, you know, um, scientist and said, is this right? Have, mm. have you got the right soil here? Mm. Was <laughs> and, it our sample? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And he said, no, no, it's actually not that uncommon. Mm. So, um, and that soil grows magnificently well if it's not compacted. Mm. So mm. some of the clays, just because they're clay, mm. and, and in your situation, those, some of those areas would have been more heavily compacted because maybe it was a goat track where people walked from mm. the door to the gate or from the door to their bins or whatever. And so it's been compacted mm. over time. Mm. But the areas where you dug the other holes have had virtually had no foot traffic on them. Mm. And so they drain magnificently. Mm. It's, uh, it's quite an interesting yeah. thing. So that soil is probably the best soil you can use. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's got soil moisture holding yep, capacity. And it's nutrient got nutrient capacity. capacity yep. But it drains. Mm. Yeah. So it's perfect. So, but how do you treat it in a you know commercial building situation? It's really tricky. You know, yeah. you've got to open it up. You know, do they open it up well enough? You know, all those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Yeah, so. I mean, it's. I mean, at the moment, I'm both renovating my house and gardening on a black reactive soil, and it's known locally as pug, and people badmouth it all the time. But I actually think it's fantastic stuff because the small amount of improvement. Yeah, if you can keep it just moist, mm. it dries out. Not nothing's really happening, but if your plants are kind of in that subsoil anyway, in the roots, things can really, really hang on and hang in there. And yeah. so, yeah, it's a, it's such a funny thing. And we, we, you know, we've all talked about how clay gets such a bad rap. And we're like, oh, I've got clay. It really does. You know, but it's actually I'd much rather sand. clay. Exactly. Yeah. If that's day. where you're starting, yeah. you, you you can really work you can that work well. It. And you know, working out if our soil is quite responsive to gypsum. Which is, you know, I haven't used gypsum in my gardening sort of kit for 20 years, but yeah. now it's in the kit, you know. Mm. When I'm working a new area, I'll put down a bit of gypsum or, you know, moving. Yesterday I was moving a whole lot of soil out of an area where the chook run's going to go, and I'm like, I've been working on that four centimetres of soil for <laughs> 18 months, so I'm not wasting it. <laughs> you know, so that gets moved into a veggie bed, and then the, mm. the, the, the house goes on. But, you know, really... Um, really valuing what you have. Like I say, you can't buy it, you've got to build it. Mm. You know, if you want really quality results, you've got to build it over long term and not buy it. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know who's bought soil with weeds in it, but I've heard I've heard people buying potting mixes and ending up with weeds in mm. it, which is pretty yeah. outrageous. Mm. But I've had the odd Canary Island palm pop up in what? bought topsoil before. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, and I'm lucky is. I know what it is when it first pops up because if that thing gets out of control, then they're really out. You've got to really change your whole vibe out oh, there. Yeah. And move your <laughs> house. Going for, <laughs> go for a Bailey vibe. But that's the thing about, about imported soils. So, so because we're doing large sites, so what will happen is when, when a, a new school site gets set out, 
the first thing that happens is 100 millimetres of soil mm. gets taken off the entire site. Is that for structural it, reasons for the buildings? Um, they well, they want to reuse it for topsoil. Mm. Oh, okay, so they do oh, yeah, so they so stop it. Yeah. So they put it aside. But what often happens with that soil and housing estates as well mm. is it goes off to paddocks and then, yeah, and it gets somewhat cleaned, yeah. you know, through sieves or whatever, and then it gets sold back through the garden supplies. Yeah, so it's not put so, back onto so, the site. No, but it's going to have a weed seed bank in it. Yeah. yeah. So that's what you're getting. I mean, unless you buy quarried sand mm. or quarried mm. soil, mm. you're going to get a certain amount of weeds. Mm. Yeah. You just can't avoid it. Yeah, because it so is So which that, is it, better, you know? Do you go quarrying or do you take the stuff that's coming off building sites? You know, maybe, I don't know. It'd be, I mean, perhaps it would be good practice for building sites to start to actually take the soil and put it over there and then put it back. Well, that, no, yeah, that's what they know, do do. Yeah. That's, that's generally what they do. But then I was watching, I was out at uh, Wonthaggy. They've got a huge new secondary college, so we were doing a planting out there and we were there quite late doing the planting design, so they were already spreading... The soil, beautiful soil, and one thaggy soil is. Yeah. This site was interesting that it was sand and it was clay. Mm. Um, but they were spreading this, and I'm looking at it and thinking, it has got kaikuyu all through it. Mm. The site must have been kaikuyu before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think we'll just go with kaikuyu, actually. Rangi <laughs> <laughs> yeah. architect, I said, well, this is going to be great for your grass areas. <laughs> it's not going to be so good for the planting, mm, you know. They, yeah. they you know, probably ought to hold off planting for, for a few months, let yeah. it grow. Um, but that is the thing. So environmentally, mm. it's far better mm. to leave it stockpiled mm. and put it back. But the other thing about time, you're saying, so the problem with importing soil, when you, you know, the stuff you buy, you put it down, of course, it can go like soup mm. because it has no structure. Mm. It mm. has... Silt, sand. Yeah, mm. silt, yeah. silt is, and it, silt's a problem. Silt's really tricky. <laughs> and, but it doesn't have the roots. So, yeah. you know, if you've got an area that's had grass on it for 50 years and then you make a garden, the soil will be quite mm. open because it's mm. got all those dead roots that are sitting in there and mm. they create little air pockets and they create mm. structure. But you don't get that when you just throw no. brand new mm. soil mm. down. Mm. That's, what, that's the thing that really is missing, I think, generally. Mm. So Life. Yeah, life. That's right. A and, green crop is air. probably, you know, I we just pulled up. I'm holding my my bowl of garlic. Just pulled up a big crop of garlic, and that'll be the brassica bed. So start really early. Start sowing seeds right now, actually, for all the brassicas to get them nice and big before the the uh, winter breaks go on. Um, but you know, that was a dry, compacted soil, and it's funny. I'm looking at it, thinking, okay, what am I going to do to really get it rolling again? Because I know it's got that capacity. You know, that it's it's almost like I don't know, sometimes I think about soil, it's, it's, it's ready to go. All you need to do is offer it that little bit of support and that soil will be really live again. Like mm. it feels quite dry and, you know, hard because mm. this, you know, crop's been in there and we haven't watered it for the last, you know, well, forever. Um, but you sort of go, you know, a, a crop of peas and a little bit of compost and you, it's like you kind of, well, what is it, you just add water. And it grows, you know. Like, and so you know, I think it's it's very simple what you can do. But that interaction between plant roots and microorganisms, mm. which is one that you know still is being understood more widely. Yeah. You know, always better to leave, I reckon, particularly in the veggie garden, a little crop of weeds growing, then pull them out. You know, people that tidy world. If you want to keep that soil alive, and you're just going to have a 
There's nothing wrong with a break crop of weeds. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> you and know. we know now so much, or we're starting to know so much about um, the interaction between different plants via their roots. Mm. And I'm a really strong believer now that planting plants closer together enables their roots to have some sort of interaction a bit quicker. And I'm convinced that that, that just helps us. That you're yeah, such a community feel person. I am. Aren't I am. You? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a documentary out there called How Plants Talk to Each Other or something. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Roots, yeah. yeah, and they've. Oh. They have, they've done scientific testing via the roots mm. and chemicals that um, come out through the roots and through the leaves as well mm. in, yep. in mm. plant communities. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So corn, it's corn so roots cool. click. Yeah, yeah they, make they make sounds. sounds. Is it yeah. like a popping corn? Are <laughs> 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 you feeling hungry? <laughs> yeah, I haven't had breakfast yet. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and the, 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 the wattles in, uh, in Africa that the giraffes eat, you know, they have some chemical that they Tannins. release yep. when, when uh, a giraffe starts eating the mm-hmm. leaves yep. and that makes them bitter. And if you are a wattle tree uh, further downwind, you pick up that that. That, uh, that chemical yep. scent, yep. and you start producing those yeah. tannins as well. Yep. So, so the giraffes, you know, have got to be clever and go upwind. Go upwind. Otherwise, that's they right. can't yep. eat them. So they mm. they communicate. Yeah. It might be on a basic mm. level, but, mm. but yeah. who knows how how yep. difficult it is. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're not e- into eating um, animals, <laughs> uh, you might start thinking about not eating plants too, because you yep. know maybe they're cleverer than <laughs> yeah. you think. Mm. It's a it's a valid point. Yes. Yeah. All right. I should stop this um, communication train for for, for two <laughs> seconds to uh, read a few community announcements that Pam has kind of left. Is there a bid me. on? Uh, is there a what? Is there a, a bid, bid on? A bid. It is oh, spring. There, oh, I thought you said, is there a bid on? No. No, no nope. bid on. No. Uh, <laughs> okay, doke. So the uh, Yarra Rangers Regional Museum has been holding a series of events. And uh, it is at is, the location is 35 to 37 Castella Street in Lily, Lilydale. The exhibition at the moment is called Stories Behind the Facade. Now the whole exhibition is running. It started at the start of November and it's running through until the end of January. So plenty of time, although time does go so quickly. So this particular one that's on at the moment uh, on. Well, today we've got an afternoon talk by Sarah Hardy titled The Unusual Life of Edna Walling. Uh, Chloe, you seem to think that that might be sold I think out. it might so, be, yeah, it might be worth a try. Worth a try. Mm. Uh, that, uh, to book for that particular talk, you can call 1300-368-333. So that's 1300-368-333. Or you can email box office at yarrarangers.vic.gov.au. So this particular exhibition showcases five significant heritage buildings in the Dandenong Ranges. History and stories are revealed through multiple layers brought to life by recorded memories, photographs and building biographies. The buildings featured are Burnham Beaches, an Art Deco mansion, Miller Short House, mid-century entertainer, uh, Marwara Arts and Crafts Home, Kenlock Estate, Edwardium Home and Eatery, and St Michael's and All Angels Church. On Saturday, the 30th of November, there's evening talks on botanical and horticultural significance of the regions, associated and neighbouring gardens. There's uh, Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery will speak about the magnificent gardens of Sir Arthur Streeton's Longacres. 
Emma Moisey, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society with an insight into Kenlock and John Curtis from Parks Victoria will give an overview of the Alfred Nicholas Memorial Garden, Periander Garden and the George Tyndall Memorial Garden. And on Sunday the 1st of December, uh, Caitlin Metropolis Heritage Advocacy Advisor National Trust is speaking about why does heritage matter, people's connections to places. So if any of those sound interesting to you, you can uh, hop onto the Yarra Ranges Regional Museum and uh, website and just check that out. Today there is a tiny garden gem opening in uh, Fitzroy. Inner City Fairy Garden, open today, uh, Anne Atkins's garden, for almost 20 years and has worked to transform a derelict 1850s former rooming house into a fascinating home with a garden that beckons as soon as you open the front door. The garden is reached through the house. En route, visitors are treated to a glimpse of Anne's eclectic collection of whimsy, life-size old ladies who recline on a couch in the front room fairy-themed ornaments from the tiny to the huge and wax sculptures that call out for attention. Every surface is draped and cloaked in greenery and seasonal flowers, creating a sense of mystery. Climbing roses, chili and jasmine and many other creepers weave their way up and over archway frames. Camellias, azaleas and geraniums provide the stable colour with violets and ferns thriving in the many shaded sections. The magical feel carries through the garden, which is dotted with fairies and ornaments and comes complete with a chandelier. A thriving vegetable garden completes the picture. So this fairy garden is at 45 Napier Street in Fitzroy. It's open today from 10 until 4.30pm. Entry is $8, children under 18 free. For more information, you can go to the Open Gardens and Events website, which is opengardensvictoria.org.au Phil Johnson's Billabong Falls is open today. Stepping into Philip Johnson's 2.8 hectare property at Alinda, surrounded by towering mountain ash, eucalyptus regnans and filtered views out to the Yarra Valley, you could be forgiven for thinking you'd stumbled upon a natural waterhole in a native forest that has been there forever such as the clever design behind the garden at Billabong Falls, which was the inspiration for the Trailfinders Australian Garden that won Best in Show at Chelsea Flower Show. Philip specialises in the establishment of environmentally sustainable billabongs, natural chemical-free swimming pools, and water features that are replenished by stormwater set within naturalistic landscapes where rock is used to spectacular effect. Ah, the land at Billabong Falls has a 22-metre level change from the top of Phillips Studio to the base of the landscape, which has allowed runoff water from the driveway and roof to be channelled beautifully throughout the landscape into two billabongs. One billabong has now become a natural filtration swimming pool with a serpentine timber walkway and small pebble path that creates a reflexology experience in bare feet. Uh, is, are people allowed to do a horsey into the Probably. Swim, natural swimming pool? Probably. <laughs> you turn up in your bodies and just kind of Running in and hey! Well, like, a musical start, right? <laughs> and everyone will be like, they do yeah, say yeah. It's, it's easier to uh, easier to apologise and ask for uh, a permission, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. So Phil's garden. <laughs> Phil's garden is at One Holden Road in Alinda. It's going to be open today from ten till four thirty. 
Entry is $10, children under 18 free, sausage sizzle all day, plant sales and Phil's Design Studio will be open as well. And uh, has everyone here been to Phil's Gardens? It really is a treat. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Mm. You can stay there, I believe, now. Oh, can you? I don't believe you can stay there. Does Phil yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it operates as a B&B. Yeah, yeah, what a place. He might yeah. have said, do you want to go stay? But <laughs> yeah. I haven't as yet. Okay, another open garden. This is for next weekend, so the 30th of November and 1st of December. Open Gardens Victoria will open a garden designer's inspirational garden where ornamental and productive plants are blended in a relaxed country style. So this is uh, the Melrose Country Garden in Malmesbury. Melrose is a circa 1860s bluestone cottage where garden designer Deborah Hambleton Mm. has transformed a former horse paddock into a garden sanctuary with a mix of styles and elements. There is formality and symmetry, some romance and wildness. Ornamental plants mingle with productive plants including pistachios, mulberry and quince. Local recycled materials and artefacts from overseas add a sense of character throughout. It really is a fantastic garden, this is one. It? Yeah. yeah. So, yep. Deb, yeah, it's, it's, if you're interested, it's a very gardener's garden. Mm-hmm. But, she, I mean, she's a designer, but she's come from being a, a gardener, really. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, if you love plants, if you're interested in productive plants and, and how to use them, Within a kind of design context, it's a really, yeah, it's a really fantastic. So she mixes garden. them well. Yeah, well, she's just experimenting a bit, you know. Like mm-hmm. I think she's got multiple. She managed to get her hands on multiple varieties of pomegranate and is working out which one's best for a hedge. You know, she's experimenting a lot in that garden and and um, yeah, but it, it is a, it's a really, it's the sort of garden you think, oh, I could, I could spend an afternoon gardening here. You know, that's yep. often what I think when I go to an open garden is. Would I want to hang out and help out here? You know, I'd spend some time. They, they probably and, would yeah. have appreciated you in the week before to work. Yeah, <laughs> you can't turn up on the day. I'm here, what can I do? <laughs> All right, so the Melrose Open yeah, Garden great. is at 33 Clowes Street in Malmesbury, Saturday the 30th and of November and Sunday the 1st of December, 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., $8 entry, children under 18 free. And as with the other open gardens, for more information, hop on the website, opengardensvictoria.org.au. Uh, now, Pam was really, really mean. For some bizarre reason, reason she sent me a... Um, a community announcement for March, hmm. and I got, I got so confused. I sat there <laughs> Did looking at it. Did you get a bit cross? It. You're like, yeah. come no, on, no, no. I can't read that. I, I was sort of thinking to myself, hang on, aren't we just in January? Are we in January, or is it no? <laughs> <laughs> Why is she already sending me? And then I was like, it's November, Pam. Did this I miss Christmas? Christmas? <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> anyway, so for those people who like to be uber organised, uh, this is for Sunday the 1st of March. This is the Werribee Park Heritage Orchard Heritage Fruit Tree Festival. Ah. It's on Sunday the 1st of March from 10 until 3. Uh, great opportunity to have a look at the... Re- it actually sounds like a fantastic yeah, day. And, and I, I, awesome. I was thinking, yep. oh, I have to do this. And I was like, oh, when, when is it? Oh. And I was about to write the address on it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's March. I'm not putting the address on it yet. I bet you're busy by the time we get <laughs> there. Well, I'm just go, can't go. Going in the diary. <laughs> so have a look at the rare and heritage stone fruit varieties that are at Werribee Park Heritage Orchard. And this is the bit I love. You can select your own variety to be grafted. <gasps> yep. 
or you can purchase pre-grafted trees from our nursery. Uh, prices range from $15 to $25. Peaches, nectarines, apricots, plums, as well as apples and cherries, uh, as well as a bunch of other edible plants. Uh, so absolutely looks it is good to go there i mean Mm. no secret it's one of my favorite places in melbourne it's one of the best kept secrets in melbourne that place you know from the heritage orchard you've got the Karen vegetable gardens you've got the formal gardens around the mansion you've got the rose garden which is internationally listed you've got a winery next door the zoo you can hear the lions i mean it's all good (laughs) so there's no reason not to go to werribee so it, it looks like it's going to be a fantastic day. It's, as I said, tree sales, grafting demonstrations, market stalls, maker demonstrations, folk music, food stalls and kids' activities. Bring a picnic rug and settle in for the day. Free entry, amazingly. Gold coin donation for parking. Any inquiries can be made to Craig Castry on 0411 and uh, they are also calling for um, anyone who would like to have a stall there. Uh, so it's not just about fruit trees. It's about showcasing the wonderful region, the lost trades, handicrafts and local community groups. So the Summer Heritage Fruit Tree Festival is a wonderful opportunity for your business or community group to have a stall. And uh, so for more details, you can um, give Craig a call, as I mentioned, 0411 
read that book a long time ago, and before he was on Gardening Australia, I actually went and saw him on a summer holiday. I drove to his house because I couldn't work out quite a, how to get him on the show because he lives in Mallacoota. <laughs> and I was like, how are we going to do that? So thought, you to I'll just drive to Sydney and I'll just pop in and have a cup of tea and have a chat so he can eyeball me. And so when I ring him, and, and then I had to ring him. Um, I had to ring him because they decided, oh, I'm not know if I've heard say this out loud, but we were going back <laughs> on air, brand new hour-long program doubled. We were going back on air on Australia Day. And we all kind of looked at each other and thought, ah, oh, okay, righto, that's a big conversation. And, you know, and so I, I literally rang him and said, you know about that thing we've been talking about for ages but could never really quite work could could we could we film with you? And I told him what we were when it was going to go to air and what was going to happen. And you know we'd love you to be a part of our first program back. And you know we made it happen. He was had another event on and we tacked on some days and and filmed with him. And and you know it goes down as one of the most beautiful my garden paths. Mm. So really mm. for us was mm. just this great thing to have in our first new program to just kind of put it on the table of Australia to go. You know we really are excited about this and we're excited about this knowledge and this information and you know but I've seen him kind of tell that you know 7.30 on a Friday night mainstream television story but I've also seen him speak to really different groups of people where he might be a little bit more confrontational you know he might mm. be going into some of the stuff um, that is a little bit harder for people to hear but it's it's a real pleasure and a privilege mm. to get to be in those rooms where he knows he's talking to a group of people who can hack it mm. or want to be challenged and you know, one, one, I don't know mm. if anyone's ever read his book, Convincing Ground, but it's just, um, it's, it's many, many stories, mostly from the west of Victoria before he, you know, one of his earlier books, which is mostly about massacre sites and, and, you know, the way societies were functioning for, and it's absolutely gripping, but it's also really confronting, mm. you know, and it's, but it's great for us to be kind of moving forward, and I think it's moving forward. Some people say it's looking back. No, but it's, it's actually moving it's forward. moving forward, and um, and it's and it's yeah, such a it's so great to see plant communities really embracing as well, yeah. and bringing those places that people who aren't as trusting can come into, mm-hmm. as their first place to start to really kind of accept and realise they're part of this country and they're part of this culture mm. and they're part of this wonderful landscape that we can celebrate. Mm. Yeah, mm. Bruce comes at it at it from such a different perspective as well that it, yeah. He's just brilliant. He's very generous and yeah. he's very welcoming and um, he's very, I think he's quite pragmatic too. He mm. knows like reality um, but also, you know, just so fantastic. So, yeah, mm. that will be just, it's always great to go on. So I better Here go on stick. book now because... Yeah. Yeah. Book, yeah. It'll yeah. Sell, it will sell out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. so you're listening to the 3CR Gardening oh, yeah. Show. <laughs> I'm A.B. Bishop and with me in the studio <laughs> are Millie Ross from Gardening Australia, Evan Gorky from Oka Landscape and horticulturalist... Chloe Foster. <laughs> well done. If you're still with us. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I really don't want to give out the number for people to call in because, you know what, I'm just quite happy sitting here listening to you guys. <laughs> have a good chat. Uh, honestly, if you want to uh, ring in with a question or a query or a brag or anything at all, please give us a call. The number is 94190155, Now, Chloe, just quickly, I think you've got a little announcement. Well, yeah, I choked over my <laughs> breakfast yesterday morning and then I messaged you because I was reading this article. Um, it's for new emojis that have come out. So emojis are what we, the little smiley faces we use in our text messages. And there's been these emojis released by the Arente people of Alice Springs, indigenous emojis. And 
the bit that made me so excited was there's now native flower emojis because you know and I birds said, and animals and birds <laughs> and animals and and other um, Abor- um indigenous hand yep. gestures and other things yep. which I don't understand so I won't even try to explain it but I was so excited so the people of the communities um, up in in central Australia have designed and drawn these emojis and however technology works and however emojis are made, you can send them to your friends now and I was so excited. So I remember mob sort of run Alice Springs out kind of yep. west over quite a, a big area. And I mean that's the that's the thing that I think is so lovely. When I, I saw this came came out a little while ago, didn't it? And it's mm. like a lot of communication um, between the community is often Non-verbal, mm. so like the hand gestures and whatnot might be because you know, I mean, it, taking it back to a really basic form, it might be you're hunting, mm. and you don't want to go, hey Barry, I think it's a, you know, yeah. like it's it's much more subtle than yeah. that. But also that that is often non-verbal communication between just family members and and whatnot. And so I, I you know, I, re- I when this came out, I saw, yeah, like it was such a great. Um, Claiming of different language yeah. and, and different ways to express. And, yeah. yeah, it's just so exciting. So I, you download it. You download it as an app from the App Store on, and it's you can have it on Android phone or a, or an Apple phone. Um, they haven't. I think they're still final. It, you can use it, but they're still finalising it because it's not actually in my messages when you go to find the emojis in your messages. It's a separate app that you have to. And send a separate message, but I sent AB about five and seven. I want to see what plants. What plants are on oh, there? Oh, sorry, the plants. Yes. Well, they're, there they're, is. They're, they're all sort of Central Australian. Yeah. Uh, critters. Sturt and Desert Pea. Yeah. Um, yep. Sturt Desert Rose. Uh, bush Yam. A Quandong. Um, the Billy Buttons. Yeah, the Billy Buttons. I think it's a, a Bush Onion. Bush Yam. Um, um, we're just flicking through them right now. <laughs> but then there's also um, a galah and the blue fairy wren, which is yep. one of my favourites. Yep. Some snakes. Possums. A whole heap of other little possums and quolls and um, the red-tailed black cockatoo. Bilby. Oh. There's the bilby. It's just so great. It's so exciting. Because yep. yeah, there's a bilby. Because I go through it, you know, and I send messages to, you know, well, not just plant friends, but friends, and, you know, sometimes you put a little flower... A little emoji. palm tree at the bottom That's or like, something. I don't want a palm tree. Yeah. I want I want the Sturt's <laughs> Desert Pea. Yeah. And now I can have it. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's fantastic. It just means a whole lot, whole lot of other people You can don't have to do the, the, little, yeah. the little manure with eyes. No. <laughs> which, is, which is a classic. <laughs> yeah, it's good for gardeners. But also, <laughs> also what's included, there, there's a troopie on here as well. A so you can send a troopie. Or um, or a little, or a little cup of hot tea. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. It's it is distinctly Australian. It, I think oh, that's so probably good. the right word. Yeah, and all relevant. And I think there's totally uh, relevant. That's uh, as Chloe was saying. That is <laughs> a cut off kangaroo tail <laughs> <laughs> for dinner. Yeah. 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 yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah, and it's relevant to the Central Australian people, and they're hoping that people from around mm. Australia, other communities, mm. other Aboriginal communities, will hop on board and, and create their own sets of emojis. I mean, that was they were built in conjunction, I think, with about a thousand kids. Mm. They mm. all came in and worked with uh, graphic designers, and they worked yep. with uh, mm. cultural advisors. What's representative of uh, what do we communicate about? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, yeah. yeah. it's so great. It is great, and it's yeah. good to be able. To, yeah, one of my one of my favourite things. Australia. Not going, but like ABC Indigenous, like just put together such fantastic 
funny communicative stuff about genuine indigenous culture and you know i i just uh i think like i like i said i'm so so excited and i feel like there's so much good humor and yep. you know uh, and just understanding of this place that's uh, on the plate but that that's fantastic i will be having a yeah. look at that if i had a phone that was n- not a hundred years old. <laughs> <laughs> I would download those emojis. We'll draw them for you, mate. I refuse yeah. to get one of those ginormous phones. I like this old small one, thanks. We could have done with that troopy uh, emoji about three or four years ago when we were actually bogged in Wolf Creek. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> <laughs> you need to... And you need a skull and crossbones and a troopie. And a a troopie came down the road and the kids ran out. It was a couple of hundred metres out to the road and the kids ran out and waved them in. And it was a troopie, obviously. And uh, they came in and uh, it was like they had the front door open and the back door open because people just kept coming out of the troopie. (laughs) There was babies in arms. There was, um, you know, grandmothers. There would have been 15 people in this thing. And they all set up their little camp on the side and and the the guys helped us get out. It was just the most fantastic moment. Yeah. It was really, really (laughs) good. Yeah, you can fit a lot of people in one of those Yeah, we've got a photo of those guys on our wall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Very good. All right, so we should go to our first caller, Ken in Sunshine. How are you going, Ken? Oh, not not too bad. Look, I live in an area that is very, 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 very clay in Sunshine, and I used um, sand and coke dust. I worked for the gas and fuel on the old town's gas. Of course, they burnt coke, and I had as much dust as I liked, and I mixed it through the garden, and my soil's absolutely beautiful. Mm. As a matter of fact, if I put a shovel in there and leave it, the thing starts to root, and I start to grow shovels. <laughs> well, I guess it adds a lot of minerals, the coke dust, and, it, and it's oh, yeah. pro- probably not super fine either, so I imagine um, that uh, that opens it up a little bit more like sand as well and you know how stupid i was every night i'd come home i love gardening and i'd come home and i'd dig the front and the back <coughs> before i'd do anything else <laughs> and i did it every night yeah, <laughs> but i've got a beautiful gum out the front and uh it's an iron bark and it's mm. four stories high and it's absolutely beautiful beautiful oh, so my nice. favorites yeah, I think, Ken, sometimes uh, people come into the nursery and they say, I've got clay soil, can I mix sand with it? And it's such a tricky thing to get right, I think. Mm. So, Ken, could you talk us through maybe how you did it and if you know ratios or, you know, was it, et cetera? No, <laughs> no, a bit not. on the way home. Yeah, a bit on the way home. You're talking to a 75-year-old that <laughs> has forgotten, but I, I just mixed it over and I, I, I didn't... Um, I didn't measure it or anything like that. I just threw the sand. It was it was fairly even, and I dug it through, and I just dug it every night, mm-hmm. back and front before I did anything else. I think sand is such an interesting thing too. We say sand, but it's talk about variable. geology. Sand yeah. is a very variable thing. And actually, I just had a concrete slab poured, and the concreter was saying 
that it's very unpredictable now for them how the sand is going to behave. He said, I think it's the sand, but, you know, what used to be very predictable because it was the same sort of stuff, now they're mining further, mm. there's different mineral contents in the sand. I mean, some sand's full of clay. Mm, yeah. You know, try and buy bloody sand pit sand. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sometimes they come out chalky, the kids, sometimes they come out dirty, yeah. you know, like this. It, it's not one thing, and so I think that is... You know, that idea mm. that you can mix, you know, basically you're mixing cement in some or yeah. concrete in yeah. some circumstances. And that's what happens in some in some yeah. cases. You mix sand through and you end up with this incredibly gluggy mass that yeah. nothing yeah. is going to grow out. Well, yeah. I, well I, I didn't, and the coke dust too was just, and, and you can stick a shovel anywhere in mm. my garden. Yeah. Coke dust is like man-made coal or something, is it? Well, no. Like, because it, it, it's it, end of oil refining or... It was coke. Yeah. I think uh, it's 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 it is coal. It's yeah, for, it's, bur- it's it for burning. It's yeah, for heat. Yeah. So it's um, and I guess the dust is just the what ends up in the bottom of the truck essentially when they. So coal's pretty good for soil, as far as I know. Well, a bit of brown coal. coal. Yeah, yeah. It, it is used. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I used to take my trailer down and um, mm. fill it up and and come back and throw it over the garden and yeah and, and dig it in. Mm. Yeah, mm. interesting. So and then and, and, and everything grows well in my place, and people tell me I've got a lovely garden. I don't know. I don't think I have, but it's a garden. But people tell me it is. I, I enjoy it. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Good on you, Ken. That's that the ABC. So that's your lot today. Good on you. On the gardening program. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Ken. The thing about sand, it, it, you're right. You know, you can test. Um, so if you're doing a sports oval, you have parameters you want the sand to be in, particularly if you've got a certain type of drainage underneath where you don't want sand migrating into the gravel below. <laughs> so you have to have certain um, uh, sizes of particles, and the particle distribution is, is the, the key thing. Mm. And you get, <clears throat> you get you know, down from about uh, a millimetre right down to what ends up in the pan below 0002 and that's your sort of silt con- and clay content. Mm, but then can you can divide that out as well and say mm. what's silt and what's clay. Mm. So there's the difference between brick sand mm, yeah. and, and whitewashed sand. Mm. So if you, you know, the, the brick sand's got all that fine material in it, it might have 30% that's going to be end up in the pan mm. at the bottom. Um, so if, you, if you're looking for sand to put through uh, a, um, a vegetable garden or something like that, you have to use an awful lot of it. Mm. <clears throat> like probably if you're digging 300 mil, you probably need 150 mil of it. Mm. Because if you put too little in, even if it's a coarse sand, it can actually not make any difference yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily make the particles stick together. So that's what clay do, uh, gypsum does. Mm. It makes the tiny particles stick together to make larger particles so it's more like sand. Mm. So instead of having a, uh, a drum full of ping pong balls and the amount of space, air space that's between them, you have a drum full of basketballs. Mm-hmm. So that's what gypsum does in certain clays. Mm. It doesn't work in all clays. Mm. Um, so if you're putting sand in, so if you use that analogy and think mm. about that and you've got a, a barrel full of uh, clay and you put a certain amount of sand in it, you just put it sort of putting dots all through mm-hmm. the sand, you're, all through the clay. It's you're not really structure. Not doing anything. Mm. No. Yeah. So you have to put a hell of a lot in mm. to, to mm. really change that. So so it it does work, and mm. I've done it in 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 areas, but it it takes a hell of a lot, and you have to make it sure you have very mm. coarse and heavily washed sand. Where do you get it? 
Where's buy. it coming from? You know, yeah. that's what I always think. Well, Where the heck buy. is this coming from? Yeah, yeah. I no, wonder that with all soil products everything. you buy, I'm not from an egg. Yeah, yeah, but you've really got to go, uh, you've got to go straight to the quarry people. Mm. So somewhere like Burdett's, who do sell mm. to uh, individuals as well. But if you buy turf sand off the, them, you're more likely to get something that is uh, fairly open. Mm. Mm. Um, so you just have to go directly to the quarry. So you go to a quarry and there's all different seams, of course. Yeah. You mm. know, they might be digging it over there and the next week they might be digging it 100 metres away. Mm. And it can be very different soil, yeah. really, really yeah. different. And they tend to blend it mm. To, mm. to make it. To make so it a it, you know, uniform product. Yeah. Mm. But what you're buying as soil and so on from a gardening supply is stuff coming off mm. so, uh, existing sites. Mm. It's generally not quarried stuff. So... The only way to do it, and environmentally, I guess it's not great, is to be buying quarried sand mm, and, mm. and washed mm. and quite coarse. Yeah, just chuck some organic matter on yeah, over absolutely. time. Yeah. Get some coal dust. Yeah. That's, that's right. what I say. Can's got the tip. Is that highly available? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, it is. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, yeah, you can get it, yeah, you can't can you? You can get it, yeah. We, I, we trialled it. Yeah, I did a story a couple of years ago with a guy who um, was, like, he was, it was part of a story about some women who were, have a little business where they pick up coffee grounds from cafes and distribute oh, yeah. them to mm. gardens. And we're like, oh, you know, can you, can you, who's a good home gardener that you, you go to? And they go, oh, we've got this guy we go to all the time. And, you know, he's like obsessed with it and he's making this great compost. He's got a cement mixer set up. And so we're, on the show, I think we show us putting like three things in, but actually on the day, it's like far more complex. It includes coal dust. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like an ex-engineer who worked at, you know, so we've got these big barrels of stuff and you just think, you just crack up laughing and go, we can't really put them on the telly <laughs> because everyone's going to, you know, there's 5,000 emails. Where do yeah. I get coal dust? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Every local, every local nursery is cursing Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I was kind of cursing the producer going, we've got to tell him that this is like amazing. Like we can just make a feature that he is... You know, he's like a crazy scientist with his compost, but uh, you know, it's kind of hard to convince someone who's who's not so much of a gardener. But yeah, it's, it is it is amazing those you know local resources that people find, whether it's coffee grounds or rice hulls or the brewery waste that mm. comes out of the brewery up around the corner, or you know, like I I'm always amazed, and I, I'm on just a little secret. I'm actually on long service leave at the moment, so I haven't been to work for for quite a long time. Oh, is that why you're so relaxed? Well, yeah. I'm exhausted actually because I'm renovating my house. So I'm, really, I'm working even harder, but but it's been really nice because I do little things like so I had new concrete slab went down. Um, and old concrete slabs in a pile to make a wall out of. Um, and, and, you know, you want to protect it because it's going to be the final floor surface. So I go, right, I've got to, what about the carpet guys? So I pop down to the carpet, local carpet place. And I say, can you guys give me a ring if there's any carpet in the bin? Cause I'll put that down on the slab while the builders are around. And, and, you know, and then I'm standing there looking at this huge pile of pallets out the back. And I'm like, what do you do with them? They go, oh, we just have to burn them. Yeah. You know, and you think there's uh, a resource. Oh, and so I'm like, words. well, exactly. I want to put a roof in the, a oh. uh, floor in the roof and you know like I can't explain that on radio that's <laughs> <laughs> but it's um you know you do you, it, if you have time to just poke around oh, particularly yeah. the industrial areas yes. of yes. wherever you live you will find piles of rubbish you know we're killing off a huge cooch lawn over years um and it, we've been doing it with you know old billboard tarps and bits of corrugated iron and, you know, just kind of kill another area every summer and, and then that becomes, you know, an area to plant. And, you know, the other day I'm talking to the plumber at the hardware store about where to get big bits of 
you know, looking at builder's plastic. I don't want to buy plastic. And he, we walk around the back and he goes, oh, well, what about that pile that we have to send to landfill, you know? Oh. And there's huge sheets of, of packaging plastic. So if you, if you just go for a walk around the block often, yeah. you, can, you can find a real fit of resource or something that you didn't even know you needed and now you've got a stack of it down the back. (laughs) We've got a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know that you can do very unique things. So, you know, it's it's that idea that sometimes when you put something on telly, everyone wants to get that. Josh and I had a hilarious conversation once about how much money he'd made for BHP steel, you know, (laughs) with his corrugated raised garden beds that he did in his two Uh rental gardens. He said it's why he put them in the ground at his house. He said... I just was so aware that because I'd done that in a couple of gardens, people thought you had to have raised garden beds. Mm. You know, that you could, you know, people start to think mm. you have to do it like that. And he's like, so no, no, you just put them in the ground. I only did it like that for multiple reasons. But, um, mm. you know, it's you, so you, true though. You can get resources from anywhere. I went with a friend recently with Loretta, who's, um, sometimes on the show, Loretta Childs, and we, uh, went to Coldstream Tip and um, she discovered they sell this incredible compost, like the most beautiful compost for $40 for a trailer load. Yeah, $40 for a trailer load. And while we were there, they've got an incredible uh, tip shop, Mm. highly organised. And we were sitting there thinking, you could build an entire house just from stuff mm. from here, including a, a dog kennel, mm. a guinea pig hutch, <laughs> all sorts of things just from the tip shop. The only thing, as I have discovered, it wouldn't comply. Yeah. <laughs> you could build it from the tip, yeah. but you wouldn't get permits. Yeah. Or you'd have to pay money so you didn't have to get permits. I'm sorry, I'm in a bit of a bit of a, a, a I'm a bit raw at the moment yeah. with the client. It really sounds like it. <laughs> just, just I don't know who you are, but here's another thousand dollars. But um oh look you know, tips are and they're getting better and better too. Mm. There's some mm. really standards. That sounds like it's a standout. Mm. Like you go to some and they've really got it. They've worked out. They've got people who know the value of different materials. And there's one I go to in Bendigo where it's it's like if you go through the week, it's like um, it's the best. There's this little area that undercover where the trailer comes in with the stuff, you know, the guys who are sorting through the things people are chucking out and bringing them into the tip shop. And the trailer arrives full of stuff. And then there's this little group of people who sit on the thrown out wheelchairs and over toilet seats, you know. <laughs> Waiting for the trailer to arrive. <laughs> they sit around talking and then they jump up and have a look first. But it's like, you know, it's, it's like the arrivals hall. Um, but, you know, there's so many great, great places to access resources like that. But there's also those places that are on the edge, which is just sometimes a matter of having a conversation mm, yeah. with the local cafe or with the local um, furniture maker for their offcuts. Or, you know, there's all of these things that people would love to use probably mm. themselves, but they don't have places to store it or, yeah. you know, that you can... You can re- it's all about relationships, isn't it? You're yeah, just you having have, a chat. You have to have a place to store stuff. Yeah. I think that, yeah. that's, that's really important. And I'm, I'm a bit of a hoarder in that <laughs> yeah. way. Every now and again I have a clean out. But um, you do, you know, you see something, you think, oh, yeah. That oh. could be hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'll just put that in there on the back. I'll just look at I'll, it. I'll tell, Evan, I'll tell you the problem with that is you save all these things and they 
potentially will be useful one day. And mm. babe, I hope you're listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they will either be useful one day or they will be worth a lot of money one day. But the trouble is, when that day comes, you can never bloody find them. Because <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I know I've got yeah, that handle here somewhere. I cannot tell you the amount of times. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Oh, it just goes on and on. Yeah. So, or I did exactly that there. a week yeah. ago. Have you seen that, that nice lever yeah, with the thing? Yeah, and the yeah, yeah. It's, it's really frustrating. All right. Well, let's talk about some plants. Millie, oh, what's going look, on over there? Oh, there's lots of things going on. I did. I just grabbed a whole lot of things. What do I talk about? Do we the talk garlic. about the chicory or we talk about the grevilleas? The we talk about them both. I have a question about the garlic, Millie. Oh, sure. Could you eat the stem bit and treat it as a leek? Uh, like that lower bit just above the bulb? Look, you probably could. You can see actually. So yesterday I pulled up a big crop. Um, I didn't do it. I watched other people do it because I was digging a hole. Um, I was doing the fun thing, digging trenches for the fox proofing because that's yeah. the best job, <laughs> not harvesting the garlic. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so time to, time to pull up garlic. It's always one of those questions that people have and so that's why I brought it in actually. Like when do I know to pull things? Do I wait for it to die all the way back? Do I? And, you know, I think it is one of the keys... Getting your timing right at the start of a season is one thing, but getting mm. your timing right at the mm. end of a season mm. is a whole nother game. Mm. Um, and so, Chloe, in answer to your question, we've actually already eaten the flowers. Oh, yeah. So um, these varieties produce uh, what they call an escape. Um, they produce a, a flower, and you don't necessarily want that to happen because you want all that energy to stay in this bulb. And so um, over the last few weeks, just in lead up, it, it's quite beautiful, actually. They come out and they have this really lovely arching sort of head before they present that flower. So we've been cooking them up there like a garlicky asparagus. Yeah, yummy. And they're totally delicious. Um, but I don't know that you would eat the tops of the garlic mm. like this because as part of the curing process, you know, these have come out. You want them to kind of dry out yeah. for a few days before we'll, we'll peel them so they don't. And, you know, I've been watching lots of other people on Instagram harvesting their garlic and, and doing it around timing of the weather, this week's weather. Like, you don't want to pull them up when they're wet. You know, you want the weather to be dry for a few days so you can actually just have them out to dry for a few days. Then you clean them up and hang them and dry. And I kind of want all of that dieback to go back into the bulb. Yep. So I don't know definitively whether that would make a difference if I chopped it off and ate it. It um, would have probably be quite hard in there yeah. as well. But, yeah, this is a variety, actually. I've got a, a few plants... Um, the garden that I know I talked about for years on this program that I, you know, big double block that I had in Yarraville um, that long, long time ago uh, belonged to Regib, Reg, um, and he was a uh, Turkish Cypriot family and I've got quite a few plants of his. I've got his broad beans, I've got his garlic, I've got one of his artichokes that I've been dragging from house to house forever. <laughs> um, and, yeah, this is one of his garlics which his son-in-law actually gave me um, a couple of years ago. And it is such a satisfying crop to grow. If you haven't had a crack, really, you put the cloves in in April, you walk away, and in November you harvest hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of garlic. But, um, yeah, timing is an interesting thing. I wouldn't wait for it to die back completely, mm. um, which sometimes people you think you need to. And also it's taking up a lot of space in the garden. Mm. You know, this is a garden bed I want to as I, I want to prep it for all the brassicas to go in in about six weeks. So I'll run a crop of peas because um, I love the leaves and also they'll make a really nice little green manure and I'll top dress with manure and compost and then that'll be right for Brussels sprouts and all sorts of things to go in. But, yeah, just 
just a, a, such a satisfying and enjoyable crop. And I didn't really want to talk about it. It was more of a show-off, really. Mm. Or more <laughs> just, just to think about, like, I think, um, you know, for me, I love growing vegetables because there's so much to learn, you know. There is so much to learn. And moving to a new climate, I'm relearning lots of things. And the other thing I brought in for the veggie patch was my this year's <laughs> obsession, um, which has been growing that, for that quite a few years. Right? Can anyone... Hang on, you could... Yeah, yeah, that's the obsession. Um, it's it's still in seed form, and it's it's been growing for quite a few years, but I haven't cracked it yet. So I haven't cracked growing really good radicchio, mm-hmm. and it's something or chicory. Some people would know them as chicory. So I'm talking about the varieties that have those lovely dark um, or f- and firm hearts that are very bitter. They're almost mm-hmm. like a kind of like an iceberg lettuce, I guess, mm-hmm. in form often. So really tight winter um, winter vegetable that have really, really lovely leaves. They're really nice cooked, so grilled or baked. Mm. Um, And I've been trying to get it right for years. And I've decided it is all about timing. This is a biennial plant, so they almost um, go through two really distinct phases of growth. So, you know, many, many times I've planted seeds and they're meant to be this tight little red radicchio Mm. head. Mm. And it's just this huge... (laughs) green leafy thing and you're like what the seed must be wrong you know but it's actually they go through different stages of growth so from the from that initial stage you get this loose rough leafy vegetable and what actually happens if you get your timing right is as the weather changes and in some cases they get cut right back to the ground when this happens you get the tight, dark, thicker, harder leaves. And some people would know chicory whitloof, which is the long, pale mm, one. Mm. That that takes two years for them to grow commercially, and I don't know that I have the energy to do it. Yeah. It grows through a season. They then lift it, or about 18 months, they lift it out of the ground with this Ooh, huge oh, root. Yeah. When you buy them in Italy, in, you know, in Venice, you'll buy these beautiful treviso with these big, hard... Um, sort of white root attached to it. They cut it with a lot of the root because you eat that too. So they lift them out of the ground. They then put them in, cut them right back, put them in a dark room and let them shoot away in, in, in like a media. In some cases, I think they even do it in running water. They get put into running water in a dark place. So it's like, it's this really mm. highly refined, developed over thousands and thousands of years. And yesterday I was talking to, um, my father-in-law, who, when I, he saw all these packs, he said, oh, chicory, um, nicotine, uh, kilns, blah. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I've got to check. And he, he Googled it. And um, Phillip Island was a huge chicory-growing region. And there's still kilns. And a lot of buildings, apparently, are built in the shape of these kilns mm. where they were growing chicory for coffee substitutes. So it was the root of chicory that was grown down mm. there. Um, and, you know, they just... They're like grevilleas. They're a complex of mm. plants. So a daisy, beautiful blue flower, but this really amazing complex of plants. So coming back to my obsession, I've got seven varieties mm. here or more, colours, forms, um, mostly Italian. So certainly that's, you know, you're kind of looking at European cuisine. And I'm going to be sowing them in the next, I should have done it last week, I'm going to be doing it this week, mm. sowing seed now, getting them into the ground to allow that summer leafy growth. And so then in autumn, as the weather starts to cool down, I'll remove leaves and hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll report back, they move into that second stage of growth. So through winter, we'll be able to pick entire heads, Mm -hmm. um, but also 
um, leaf. Some of the varieties are good for just pulling individual leaves off. But you know, this is this is my experiment this year. You know, like every every season, really, I have a crop. Last year it was Brussels sprouts, and it was very successful. But then Squid decided she liked them just as much as oh, I did. Nice. You have a look dog. at my Instagram. You can see a dog <laughs> learning a method where she sort of pins the plant down on the ground, works her way along oh, the Brussels so sprout stem. They got obsessed with them. We oh, couldn't God. keep them out. <laughs> and um, they started. She, they like all brassicas, actually, both of the dogs. But she just they love the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> um, but you know that was last year's experiment. This year I'm sure shifting focus to radicchio because I just I think there's so much to learn about how different even the same group of plants yep. are. You know, this is just a daisy. Yep. It's just a lettuce, mm. essentially. It's just a slightly different type of lettuce. But to get it right and to get the variety that's going to work in my garden, that's going to be really productive and reliable, and, you know, that takes time and it takes learning. So, yes, mm. I'm embarking on the radicchio experiment 2019-2020. Excellent. Oh, it's 2020. So when you saw the just let us know which one to get and yeah. which one to plant. And but you live in a very different place to me. <laughs> See, this is the thing well, I'm learning. True. You you know, but yes, I will. I'll report back um, with uh, the radicchio 2020 Fantastic. Report. Le- look forward <laughs> to it. Hopefully Squid leaves it alone. Yes. Yeah. It's not guaranteed, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio is Evan Golke, Chloe Foster, and Millie Ross. If you'd like to give us a call, if you have a question or a brag about something or just a comment, give us a call on 94190155. So we are going to go to Michelle in Caulfield. Hi, Michelle. Oh, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question, comment, brag? Oh, okay. So first question before I get started, I'm just wondering whether you guys have actually received an email from Virginia um, about my distressed cycads. Uh-huh. She promised she'd send an email in with pictures just to help. Oh, look, so when did you send that, Michelle? Oh, well, I didn't. Virginia was supposed oh, but- to have... Virginia was supposed to have sent Oh, them. look, she may have sent that to Pam, and Pam's uh, got the week off today. So right, you don't have the pictures. Oh, I don't, okay. yeah, so that might be a question for next week. I'm sure, that, sure it'll have gone through by then, gone through to the well, keeper maybe, by then. maybe, can I ask the question and we see how we go without the pictures? Of course, yeah, go for it. Mm. Okay, so I have, I'm in, in Caulfield South, and um, as a front fence 13 years ago, I planted four mediums, five medium-sized cycads which are now 13 years old um, and they're beautiful and they're of size and about four years ago one of the cycads um, started to brown off from the inside of the, the front to to the outside but on the very very tips the tips remain beautiful and green but the majority I would say 90% of each like leaf is quite brown, brittle and dead looking, and yet the tips are all quite green. So I had a number of people come out and look at this cycad, um, and nobody could really understand it. We did soil testing, we everything, and, and it just happened. So the landscaper said, why don't you cut all of the greenery, cut it all the way back to the trunk, and give the plant the opportunity to to recover, and then... It'll regrow and let's see what happens, which is what we did. And it took a number of months, but the, the plant started to, 
to shoot out its new foliage and it came out as a gorgeous green, the way it should, a healthy looking plant. And within a week, the same thing started to happen. Slowly but surely, it all started to brown off. Now, whilst it was just on the one plant, I thought, well, maybe it's just this plant that's developed some sort of illness and nobody seemed to know what was happening to it. So I, I left it. Um, but now, as I said, I have five of these. The one directly next to it about a year ago started to exhibit the same sort of distress. And now the other three are also exhibiting it, all at varying levels, but they are all starting to brown off. So it's the tips of the leaves, not the new growth necessarily no, being damaged? No, it's actually, this is what's weird. It's not the tips at all. The tips are all still quite green and luscious. It's actually, you know how a cycad has a, I don't know the technical name for it, but they sort of grow in fronds? Yep. Mm. So yeah. it's the leaves at the base of the, of the yeah. Yeah, but the... It's got a centre and then it shoots it, like the actual leaf itself, the way mm. the leaf looks. Yeah. It's browning from the actual centre mm. outward. Oh, I see. Um, and it's doing mm. it over the entire... Well, the first one that got sick four years ago, it's every single, every single strand, every single leaf has got it. Mm. The other ones, as I said, are just starting to do it in patches. But, you know, I, I don't... We, yeah. I've also got cycads in other places in the front garden that are still beautiful. And for the first seven to eight years, these plants were magnificent. There was mm. nothing wrong. So they're clearly, something's happening, but nobody seems mm. to know what. I, I'm wondering if it's a drainage issue. Yeah. And when the plants are smaller, obviously they've got smaller roots. The roots aren't reaching down as far, and so they grow perfectly well. They, they might have enough drainage at that point. And as the plant grows, because they can be affected by poor, poorly drained Corfield, soils. Caulfield yep. is known to have really poorly drained. It's like a, it was an old swampland or something before we started building houses there. Parts it's, of it, parts, parts of it. Of it. Yeah. yeah, it is known to have. So really yeah. the other problem, soils. maybe guys, because they're also, as I said to you, I've put them as a, like a fence, so they actually border the pavement. Mm. Does that make sense? So maybe yeah. the concrete and the pavement might also be preventing. But when my landscaper actually dug down in the soil to see whether it was like a water, like they were being mm. bogged, um, and he went quite deep down with a trench, he said, no, the soil's, according to him, mm. he said the soil's looking quite, quite good. It's not overly wet. It's not overly damp down there. Um, and he didn't think, it, and and also he looked at the trunk and said there's no sort of visible mould or anything like that. There could be like fungal or viral diseases that you can't see any spores of, um, or if it is a, a virus or something that's affecting it, you wouldn't necessarily see mm. fungal growth or rotting or mm. anything. Yeah, it's, it's, look, it's one of those head scratches, which mm. it sounds like you've been doing for quite some time as to exactly what it is. The fact that it's spreading from one to the other probably suggests that it is either like a, like a, a disease or a fungal problem. Bit, yeah. yeah. Um, that there's something going on that's perhaps out of your control a little bit. Um, and, and what that solution is, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, they put out yeah. a new set of leaves every two years, don't mm. they, generally? So they, they're sort of not an every year thing. And I know that the, is it the cycad blue butterfly that is found up north, which is actually in a little native butterfly, is, is finding its way south a little bit, so it's certainly in Sydney, but that tends to attack new growth. 
on a yeah. plant. So, yeah, this sort of spotting and, I mean, inc- always inclined to think it's a drainage issue when you mm. get that random dying of leaves, mm. you know, or dropping of lower, you know, sudden kind of dropping of certain leaves. But, um, they do yeah. tolerate a lot of dryness. Yeah. So I'd probably stop watering them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, oh, I did that, I mm. did that did eons you? ago. Eons yeah, ago, they really? just So they're not getting yeah. water. Mm. Not no. Um, and what sort no. of uh, conditions are they in? Like, just talk us through the soil and the sun, etc. Okay, so I have a north rear-facing garden. So, so um, at the back, so it's south, mm-hmm. um, but they are lined up. They've sort of planted one, two, three, four, five, like a fence. They are in what sort of soil? Um, it's I believe it's supposed to be like a clay-like soil, but it's still got a reasonable amount of drainage. So this was soil that was brought in for the landscape. This was yes, there was good, there was very, very fertilised soil when they were planted. So I um, wonder, I wonder, and this does happen, is there was too much organic matter in the soil, and over time, and and it's and it's been put at depth, you know, beyond mm. 200, 300 millimetres. And you're getting that sort of anaerobic activity deeper down, down deep. because there's mm. there's too much um, uh, organic matter below the level where there's enough oxygen. Right. And this could have taken a long time to exhibit because mm. they're such a slow mm. grower because they only put out mm. leaves every couple of years. I, mm. That that is actually really possible. I've mm. seen that happen with with trees. Mm. So. Mm. You know, you plant, uh, you know, somebody might have a retaining wall and you stick 600 mils of soil to build up to the retaining wall. People put fertiliser in the bottom of the hole that's 500 mil deep. Yeah, Yeah. and you buy an organic garden mix, Mm. which is the thing Mm. that you think, oh, perfect, I'm putting an organic garden mix in there. Whereas rather you should be putting something that is very low organic matter, Mm. soil, in in the lower reaches, and then in the top 200 putting some... Soil that has more organic mm. matter in mm. it. I, I reckon there's a fair chance because with new landscapes, yeah, and that's why landscape. it's taken yep. so long to exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you think they might be nutrient starved? No, I think they're getting poisoned by the uh, by the gases that are produced by anaerobic activity down low. So it'll just kill off roots, basically. Yeah. Like it's yeah. usually it's methane or you know those sorts of things, and mm. it'll it'll just gas roots. That's a that's an interesting question. Yeah. There's yeah. also there are you know there's a Palm and Cycad Society in Australia, so it would also be worth picking the brains yeah. of yeah. the people Absolutely. who just live, breathe, eat, sleep. Mm. Well, that's um, exactly. Where, where do I find them? Because of my Yeah, I just jump online. They're called Pas- um, Palm and Cycad Society Australia or something. You'll find them really quickly, actually, if you just, oh, yeah. Cycad well, okay. yeah. well, Society Australia. Yeah. I've been trying to find people and no, but Palm I, I mean, and Cycad Society. Yeah, just, just, just look them up and they probably have a contact page or even a Facebook page or something like that that you might be able to tap into some um, local experts and they might... They might, you know, say, yeah, definitely that usually happens when it's too wet or, mm. you know, it's too rich or it's too, yeah, they might might be really some, helpful. So, so that suggestion um, about the anaerobic activity, is that something that I can rectify or it's help It's something you can test for at least. So if you took some soil, and I assume there was soil brought in for the site to, to plant. Yeah, yep. yeah. 
yeah, I reckon this is the problem. So mm. get get some soil, get a few bags of soil, like, like um, you know, say three kilos of soil. Nice and deep. Yeah, right. wherever the new soil is at mm. depth and uh, take it to a place where they can test it. So places uh, near you, um, uh, sports consultants will test it for you. It'll cost you a couple of hundred dollars to get... Uh, you, you just might get an organic fraction test. Yeah. Um, or um, ground science is the other place. And you'll be able to get it tested to see what the organic matter level is. And if mm. it's over probably 5%, I'd be pulling the trees up mm. and, um, and, uh, and, and replacing that soil which mu- with much lower organic soil. And that's something you could probably feasibly do quite successfully in the cooler months. Absolutely. Yeah, or oh, probably yeah. I'd go late cooler months into as the soil's warming up as opposed to putting them into a new... You know, they don't want to sit all winter after a bit of a, um, a big mm. rejuvenation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, but sort of late, late winter re- regeneration sort of of the area. Well, yeah. I guess that's dependent on, too, the, the moisture level. But yeah. If, if yeah. you dug down at depth to take the soil samples to send them off for testing, would if it's an anaerobic... Soil. Would you smell it? Stinky. Would it be stinky? Oh, it would be. It, it yeah. Would be. So that yeah. might be an indication, smell. an easier indication as well. When you are, if mm. you are going to send off some samples to see if it's smelly when you dig down thirty centimeters mm. or something, or a bit more. Even. So is that how far you suggest? Well, well. Do you know how deep the the imported yeah. soil was put into? Oh, that's how, that's... that's how far down you'll need to go. Mm. Right. Okay. Um, I I can tell you that the cycads are quite large mm. so they stand now at about oh they're well over like 1.5 meters tall. Mm. like they're they're big big mm. plants like I, the thought of just even trying to lift one out okay. you'd almost need so, a yeah. so the so the other option would be to um dig around them yep between them and yep. take that soil out and yep. put in a much sandier yeah, um, a lighter mix. Yeah. Mm. But it doesn't have to be sandy. It just has to be low organic mm. matter. Low organic mix. Which yeah. is, and that would also help, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's, it's often yeah. the cheapest soil. Yeah, the <laughs> basic right. garden soil, which has no organic matter in it, is often yeah. the cheaper stuff as well. Or what they sell for turf yeah. often mm. as yeah. well. <laughs> what they sell for turf. Yeah, for yeah, planting turf Top on. soil for turf. Yeah. So I'm just going to repeat that just to make sure I've understood you correctly. The type of the type of soil that would be most suited is one with a low organic mix, yep, and one that they use for turf. So quite mm. quite a sandy type of yeah. Mm. yeah. But but you so, want to first get the soil tested so you yeah. know what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the first protocol. And but then I think um, now I understand, and Fulton's is not far from you. Fulton's changed hands some years ago, and I understand that they're making a much bigger effort these days to uh, actually tell you what the soil is, mm. and they're testing what what they're sort of um, what they're supplying. So you might okay. be able to go to them and say, "Well, look, this is what I want." Mm. You don't have to be low organic in the whole profile. The top two hundred or so mm. can have you know, you know, twenty percent. By volume, organic matter in it, but mm. but lower than that, it's it's gets risky, and this is the problem that happens in new landscapes. It does happen because yeah, you get the bobcat and mm. you you put the new soil in and you mm. put it to fill up to whatever mm. level, and then mature trees go in and they'll sit there sometimes and just not grow at all, or they'll take off and then 
over time, they actually go backwards. backwards. Yeah, Yeah. that's good information, Evan. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like you've got a little bit more investigating to do, but, Mm. um, yeah, good luck. Oh, thank you very, very much. I really, really appreciate your time, and I will definitely look into all of that. Good on you, Michelle. No worries. Okay, thank you for your time, guys. Bye for now. Bye. It's very frustrating. Very frustrating. That's great troubleshooting, guys. I yeah, like that. I Evan, love that well answer, done. Evan. Yeah, really good. We'll keep you coming into the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Sorry, I'm Your trial period's done. over <laughs> after 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, here's another one Finally for you. Passed. <laughs> here's another one for you guys. A caller rang and wants to know if she should give her sedum the Chelsea chop because she doesn't want them to flower until after Christmas. The Chelsea chop. What's yep. the Chelsea chop? Oh, oh is that you're trying chop. to pre- you're staging? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, yeah. well, nah. Sedums flower after Christmas yeah, anyway. Yeah, they're just budding up. They they well, kind of go. They show a lot of promise. Not budding yet. Depends on the sedum. Yeah, true. But true. Uh, no, I, I reckon they'll they'll form those buds and then they'll just hold fire until January, very likely. Oh yeah, but uh, the the reason they do the Chelsea chop also, and it's I, I did a study trip over Europe in uh, June. And went around, looked at lots of perennial landscapes. Yeah, um, sounds like really tough studying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. after school. Yeah, oh, damn yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> and uh, I spent some time, I worked in Holland in uh, the early 90s, and I spent time with that nursery boss, who they actually do a lot of urban landscapes these days, planting perennials. And they do do the Chelsea chop, if you like. And it does restrict what you can plant. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do it, and, and you could do it now. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but my sedums all looked horrendous during the week with mm-hmm. that first heat because they're so soft. So what they do, and we sh- probably should do the same, is once about three weeks after they're, they're flush, they actually chop them back down to the ground. Pretty is that with just with sedum? Yeah. No, the whole plant. Yep. The whole plant. Because and when you the, say the they do it, they do it. Do they do it with a range of different species? Uh, yeah, they do it with lots of lots yeah. of perennials. Yeah. Lo- lots of them because they say that the secondary buds come through and they're much, they're not as vigorous, and so they, the plants don't get so tall. Yeah. So therefore, in urban landscapes where you're not watering them, yeah. they survive the summer much better. Now the Chelsea chop is for timing, mm. but it's the same thing. It's the same theory. So you, it's almost driving get, that sort of exuberant, just taking that exuberant growth off, yeah. and so you're getting a much more concentrated... Yeah, that's so really instead interesting. Of, instead of, like, just patchily, you know, deadheading as you go, mm. Mm. you do a bit more of an extreme... Oh, they do it with brush cutter. Whippersnare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. they go through it with a brush cutter. Yeah. Do they do that in a planted landscape, or are they yeah. also doing it in potted plants and those sorts of things? Uh, the, the nursery that, that I worked in that, that is... That is you know, they produce um, 5 million plants a year. Holy moly. Mm. Um, and they produce them in 10-centimetre pots. So, mm. no, they're pretty much produced, bang, out they out go. Out they go, yeah. Um, but, no, in, in the landscapes that they're planting, and I actually went to a meeting, a council meeting with the boss for, oh, in, yeah, nice. in Leiden, and, you know, they have the same issues there that we have. It was fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you understand everything yeah, that was being said? You're like, <laughs> I'm, pretty sure just I'm pretty sure he just passed the buck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But, uh, you know, in urban landscapes, you don't want things to flourish and go berserk. Yeah, of course. And so I spent some time in Sheffield as well, which is really interesting. Where, um, it's like the heartland. Do, yeah, yeah, it is. And I went around with the council landscape architect and same there, they're planting. So we're, we've been talking about making wonderful soils and so on this morning. Mm. They're doing the exact opposite. Yeah. Mm. And, and we ought to be doing it too because um, you, you want to produce soils that uh, sustain growth but don't uh, produce exuberant growth yep. mm-hmm. because that way they're more sustainable through the heat. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're planting in the sand beds and things like and that. And also from a maintenance perspective, particularly yeah. in, in big kind of municipal plantings, you don't want to have to be in there deadheading all the time. No. You want to be able to just kind of come through and, and tidy up. Yeah, well, and if the conditions are really tough mm. and you've um, uh, selected the plants to withstand that that really harsh condition, mm. then you're going to get less weed growth. Mm. Yeah, mm. and the less weed growth mm. equates to less maintenance. Now, you know, the maintenance uh, of these perennial landscapes in urban environments was still, I think it was three euro a square meter a year, um, which was like ab- about two thirds, uh, no, a third more expensive than if it was just lawn. But but the the value obviously to the community is is far greater. So mm. it's still more expensive, even the way they, with the way they're doing mm. it. But it's um, it's uh, the the product is amazing. It's um when you talk about that, knowing like people like Michael McCoy really interested in what he <coughs> call, he talks about his step planting, yeah, which again that's is low the same nutrient. Sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, it's similar sorts of stuff, and mm. some of the projects that are going on in the city of Melbourne even at the moment. It seems to me like there's a real gap for young horticulturists to really skill up because we are we've gone from that period like Stephen everyone all you guys so who did your apprenticeships with councils when there was 30 of you and then we've yeah. all grown up in an era where there was no apprenticeships yeah. and mm. so you know there might have been two people like I went and worked at a nursery and now it feels like there's a growth again of opportunity for people to become really really good horticulturists and to apply those skills mm. to our public spaces mm. and, you know, they're, they're big, exciting projects that they spend money on, you mm. know, and they want, they, they, but they need to get them right because if they don't get them right and they don't work, the community will go back to turf or mm. go back to gravel <laughs> or whatever it is, you well, know. It's very right. easy to be, unjusti- to be justified as not a value to the community mm. quickly. So, you know, mm. I think it, it really exciting opportunities for mm. people to, to learn. I mean, I assume your study tour was partially that. You're probably being asked to do this more uh, we're not, not to do it. We're trying to apply the... the I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it's, it's different here, um, but we are absolutely applying it in some designs mm. um, and, uh, and in, particularly in schools where maintenance is essentially zip. Mm. But you want to have really interesting plantings, mm. you know, not just have the green shrubs. So mm. that's what they're mm. trying to get away from in Europe is mm. that sort of medium strip green shrub that has a flower once a year mm. yeah. rather than having a planting that's coming up and down and looking interesting, sometimes looking terrible. Yep. Yeah. But that's part of the deal. Yep. Yeah. Um, for the Looking terrible to us, not necessarily the critters. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, they are, and they are doing it also for yeah. um, habitat. 
yeah, yeah, habitat and so on, and, and because they have a lack of bees and insects yep. and all of those sorts but of things. But that's a shift in perspective. I mean, I'll often look at a really <laughs> messy, unmown, actually it could be our front yard, uh, <laughs> unmown, you know, verge, and a lot of people tut, 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 and are desperate to get out there mm. and mow it. But, mm. you know, started slashing the front yard yesterday, and the amount of birds that came flying down yeah. and were mm. on that sort of just slash grass, and I see the chickens do it down the back mm. as well, mm. you know, there's no doubt that there's more life in that than there is in a highly maintained oh, area. So whilst, you know, we say it doesn't look good, those moments where it doesn't look good to our clipped, organised, mm. under control, over-regulated, I comply kind of approach to life is, you know, I often look at it and I think it's very beautiful when it's quite decrepit yeah, and, yeah. and mm. overgrown. The true nature strips, not the anti-nature yeah, yeah. strips. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's like, That's it so, yeah, be proud. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like letting all your herbs go to flower or letting yeah. some of your carrot yeah. stuff go to yeah. flower. Because I love that. Yeah, yeah, I let my basil go to flower last year because I was going to chop it off so the that I could bees have were going more. Crazy. Oh. Yeah, so I could have more yeah. leaves, but the bees were going nuts. I thought, it is oh. so hot and dry yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Have, have a feed, guys. I didn't mow my lawn over summer as often as I should have last year because the buttercups were all flowering and I could see hoverflies everywhere. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I was walking across a, a new school site in the southeast about a year ago, and the grass was knee high across it. So it, it has building you know, houses all around it. It's a, you know, I don't know, fifteen acre site, hectare site or so. And the little birds, the amount of little birds that were zooming around that mm. space mm, was yeah. unbelievable. I was walking through there thinking. We're about to destroy their habitat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And this is not native grass. It's just I grass. Mean, it's yeah. just grass. Yeah. It's, just, yep. it's just a whole mix of native grass and herbs. Uh, uh, indigenous full of insects. And, yeah, full and of sort insects. of exotic mm. stuff. So mm. it, it was really a bit of an eye-opener because the sound of all the little birds getting around in there was amazing. And you turn that into an oval, mm. yeah. <clears throat> and of course mm. it's gone, or gardens. So how do you get that back and mm. not not make it look messy. Now, one of the things they do, and I, I saw this in Sheffield, was they they have a park there that is literally grass that's waist high. It has flowers and so on. And if you look on on a website, uh, Instagram for there, you'll see, mm. and you'll see it on my Instagram site, there's some images. But they say if if you mow the uh, to the sides of the paths a, a metre or two, then the perception that people have of that site is different. All of a sudden, they think well, it's being looked after. Mm, Actually, mm. this is quite nice. So, like you leave a land, but so they just mow a little little yeah, bit of the edge. Yeah, like they the mow a couple of, of metres. Strip. Yeah. yeah, so that so that it, it shows that the place is being looked after. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So the perception of the visitor all of a sudden changes. Whereas if you let that grow waist high to the path. Email after email yeah, after email. Yeah, that's right. What are you doing? Where are my sisters going? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're spending them on letting the grass grow long. Come watch the bees with us. <laughs> that's right. And, and you, know, you know this from, from gardening, you know, where if you make the front metre and a half of the garden bed mm. look amazing. Mm. <laughs> they don't see anything else. <laughs> Correct. People don't look beyond. So if you're in a hurry to clean up a garden, clean up the front metre and a yeah, half yeah. and walk away. Yeah. I'm yeah. so um, going to do this. I have a front lawn that is like, to call it a lawn is a stretch. It's, it is like <coughs> hard, well not hard clay because it's kind of, it's all nice and aerated mm. but it's like buttercups and you know a bit of mm. winter grass and that's it. Mm. I'm just going to start mowing just the edge. Mow the just mow the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good Good enough for the London Olympic side. Good enough for my place. (laughs) 
I like the plan. Let, let's get it all around Australia. All right, let's go to a caller now. Ray, you've been hanging on for a long time. Thank you so much. Are you there, oh, Ray? Hello there. Hello, Hi, Ray. thanks. Hey, Sorry Ray. about the wait. Oh, that's okay. I was having my tea anyway, oh, so good. that's fine. Um, I just thought I'd mention uh, coffee chaff uh, for composting use. Um, what, what there is there are many coffee roasters throughout Melbourne, and you can just uh, call them and just see if they've got any uh, coffee chaff, because they only throw it out. Mm-hmm. And it's those fine leaves that uh, come off the uh, coffee bean. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're just good browns for your composting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I'd do quite a bit of composting, and what you, what tends to happen is your, the size of your compost does shrink a hell of a lot when you, you when it's breaking down, and it's a good thing to actually um, add add to the compost, and then maybe some coffee grounds with it to, mm-hmm. to put your nitrogen in there as well to stir up the uh, uh, composting system again. You know. Mm. Yep. Uh, where do you get them from, right? Well. Just uh, you can Google coffee roasters, mm. and they're just spread out all over Melbourne. Mm. So they supply the coffee beans to all the coffee shops throughout, and uh, they usually uh, run out of little factories. But if you just give them a call mm. and say, "Oh, I'd like to," is it possible to get some uh, coffee uh, chaff? Uh, they've they have to bag it up because mm-hmm. it's very uh, it's it's very loose material. Yeah. Uh, but so it's they'll just. They just put it straight into a big plastic bag, so you can get a bag, uh, like a like a big garbage bag, full, and and that should do you for a couple of weeks. And you can spread it around the garden as well, you know, just to just as mulch, over, over, as mulch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My um, my local cafe does the does the thing the same thing, except it doesn't you know go back to a sort of a, a middle middleman middleman sounds like. They just put a, oh, a yeah. an ad on Facebook saying we've got heaps of coffee at the moment in their leftover. You go go on. Mm. You know, go and grab a bucket and take the bucket back next time you go back to mm. the cafe and bulk Whole Foods. Fabulous, yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah, I sprinkled it through my compost and then over the veggie garden this year as well. Yeah. So that's coffee grounds, though, I think. Oh, yeah. this is yeah. coffee yeah. Ch- chaff, yeah. Talking about yeah. From the roasters. Oh, yeah, so it's actually yeah, the, yeah, sorry. The outer husks. It's, it's, it's yeah. the husk, yeah. yeah. And basically, you that is just, uh, it's it's just like miniature, uh, uh, well, Rice Sorry, husks I'm not or something, right probably. Thing, but mm. It, it, it's good. It's good for ground cover, uh, you know, in your veggie patch. But it is. It's it's great for stir for introducing into uh, composting because it breaks down within about a week. Yeah. It's so yeah. fine, yeah. and it's just magnificent. And uh, I, I think it's just good because you, there, there's so many materials there that just tend to break down so slowly. Yeah. As long as you make a little mixture, like a, maybe a 10% mixture of coffee grounds in with it, you've got your brown and your nitrogen going together. Uh, you can actually re-energate uh, in, in, <laughs> the um, uh, compost pile to get the heat back into it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think what the, the big failing, I'm not, I don't want to be sound critical, but the thing is about... Uh, that with composting, as they say, oh, uh, try and make your compost like a wet sponge, you know, so you can squeeze and get one or two drips out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the thing there, whereas a lot of people haven't got time to be turning their compost over too often. I would tend to think you actually make it a lot wetter than you should. Mm. And you just, if you can turn it, if you've got time to turn it over, do that. But, you know, because you've got to aerate it as well. But uh, if you... The danger of a compost when it does not start, when it slows down, is 
there's just not enough moisture in there. Mm. It has to be there. So keep all your microbes alive and all that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, no. Lots of green stuff. But I recommend just uh, trying uh, trying out the chaff. Uh, I like it, yeah. And uh, look, some of these coffee roasters are throwing out uh, about a cubic metre a week mm. of oh, this right. stuff. Yeah. And it's going into landfill. Get and some of the it, larger ones. Yeah. Some of the larger ones that I've dealt with, uh, and I'm in uh, the eastern suburbs, uh, have uh, waste of up to uh, 10 cubic metres of this stuff a week. Crikey. Yeah. Of coffee chuff. So it's all going oh, to land. Mix, mix it up with a bit of juice bar pulp and you'll be a cafe leaves. Chop up your green leaves, put it with your put put that with it with it. Uh, you know, a couple of big uh, scoops of uh, the coffee grounds, mix it up and wet it down. Yeah. Mm. And look after it. Yeah, beautiful. And and once, uh, by the time it's all mixed up, within three weeks, all the, a lot of the worms will start coming up through it, and the, the worms are just saying, "Hey, this is a party," you know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, nice, easy mix. So, no, thanks really, for that. Really, right? yeah, great thanks. tip. More Love people it. should be using it. That's yeah, my advice. Definitely. Thank you very much. Love it. Good thanks on your way. Thanks. Bye for now. All right, Chloe, let's go to one of your plants. Oh, we haven't been talking about many plants. No. I've got some rippers here Wait too. Wait for That's the only problem with our 3CR, with the Facebook page now. We send in plants we don't end up talking yeah. about. <laughs> Here's the plants we were going to talk about. Yeah. We recommend them, but we don't, you don't know why we recommend them. <laughs> this is one of my favourite plants in the entire world. I... Mm. I like to call it a prostrate eucalypt because the leaves, especially in the broad leaf, the round leaf version, mm. uh, they're quite, they're that sil- bluey, silvery, greeny colour. And it's a, you know, little prostrate y Definitely have a eucalyptus cover. by yeah. don't they? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people and would think it is new growth when, when they see it. Yeah. There. So it's called um, Veronica perfoliata, and the common name is the digger's speedwell. Um, beautiful. It's in the, it's in the Hebe family. Beautiful purple flowers on it. Ground cover that sends up shoots from the base. Um, they, they have a pretty big spread on them. I, you, I, they'll probably get to, you know, over a metre, metre and a half for one plant over time. You can prune them back and they'll just, they'll just shoot from the base again and keep going. Um, I've seen them growing under gum trees, so that's, that's a win for these ones. Um, yeah, but yeah, beautiful purple flowers. The bees love them. The blue banded bees particularly love them as well. I don't know whether it's the colour of the, the flower. And the nectar. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Easy to prune, easy to grow. Yeah. Beautiful. You can create a, a mini hedge of them. Mm. They've got them down at Cranbourne and, and they're in a sort of semi-shaded spot, mm. as you say, under yep. trees. And boy, oh boy, at this time of year when they send up their purple sprays of flowers, mm. they really are stunning. But I think, you know, you said you call it a prostrate eucalypt. That's the thing that I think is so valuable about this plant is they do have such gorgeous foliage. Mm. And it does look like a young eucalypt leaf, yep. like that real blue-grey, mm. like as if you've mowed a little gum tree to the ground <laughs> yeah. and you're getting that juvenile foliage. and yeah, such a lovely contrast. I've got one down the side of the house, actually, and I've been a bit cruel to it with things this year, and I realise it's not flowering. So I have to go and have a look when I get home, because mm. it should be flowering, probably. Mm. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just such a 
Yeah, such a re- real, yeah. really useful plant yeah. as well as and, really beautiful. And tolerant, just also topping the morning, tolerant of a wide range of soil. So that, mm. you know, will, the label says well-drained soil, which could be almost... It says that on every label. Every label. Every single label. Um, but so it grows under eucalypts, which, you know, hard, dry soil. Yeah. I've got um, one growing at my place. I planted a few um, native plants in a veggie garden, like in my veggie garden that's been a cultivated veggie garden for 40 years or something. I thought, I'll, I'll see how they go in this highly nutritious soil that my grandfather threw his old superphosphate leftovers on. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this one has gone ballistic in there. And I actually dug it up oh, probably about a month ago and transplanted it to another area. And there's still a couple of little suckers that... Um, been left in the old spot yeah, that right. are shooting up again, and the plants transplanted really well. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't haven't killed it mm. yet. So, very very tough plant. Mm. Will pretty much will pretty much grow anywhere. And so it will sucker off roots. It, it not just basil shoots. I may I think I may have left some basil shoots there. Right. I don't. I think if I took. Um, all of the roots. I don't think it would have suckered from the roots. It's okay. not. Um, it's not a plant that you'd worry about that sort of suckering that it'd mm. get um, out of control. I know I like suckering plants. For yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because kids run on them, and then, you know. Yeah. yeah. Up they well, come there is, yeah, there is a school up near me that they've got them growing mm. underneath their gum trees in the garden. Right. There, they are a bit brittle. Is that the, they, the thing? Yes. I I break my own often. Yeah. Mm. Like you know, I learn brittle plants quickly because I'm very clumsy and. You know, I end up stomping up along. But that's that's the one thing I'd say. But they do yeah. kind of shoot away from the base again. The other species in this, this is Veronica perfoliata, Veronica arenaria, which is a bit more upright. The flower is more blue. That one um, splits quite easily. Yeah. But I've, that's happened to me at home, and I've mm. just pruned off the bit that broke, and it's still growing, growing. again. Yeah. So, but you could yeah. maintain this in a in a, like a perennial bed yep. and just cut it back every year. You Absolutely. could hit it with a brush yep. cutter. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. So that's, you know, maybe if you plant this sort of thing, you put it in a Amongst other mm. other plants, and they'd be able to support thing. each other yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they're going to come up smaller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is a white flowering form as well, and, yeah. and, and as you said, a, a broad leaf. Yeah, form. so this mm. one, the, the leaf is a little bit more narrow and, and triangle, triangular-like. But the other one is yeah, a bit more broad leaf, like a juvenile mm. eucalyptus mm-hmm. leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a really great plant. They're yeah. an awesome plant. Evan, did you bring any plants? Uh, I, I put some on Instagram, but um, you know. <laughs> no, no, I didn't bring them. <laughs> I didn't bring them. I didn't bring them. <laughs> I just, I'm way too lazy for that sort of thing. Did you send in a photo of Boston Ivy? I sent a photo of Boston oh, Ivy. Right. I, uh, you didn't look, bring in a look, wall of Boston I, Ivy. I think the one. You said meta. The one, the one, the one, the one plant that I I did want to talk about was the um, Cicerinchium, and if you see it on the 3CR um, Instagram site. The Cicerinchium is just such a cool plant. Yeah, the big one, Striatum. You just let it do its own thing and yeah. it just fills up spaces. It does, it's not particularly weedy outside because it's a very heavy seed. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, it's just a fabulous plant and I've got it up against uh, burgundy coloured tree, mm. tree leaves. And so at this time of year, it just looks stunning. So it's a big clumping, sort of almost lily-like. Or, yeah. yeah, and it's sort of a biennial. You, ne- you need to leave the new... Se- se- it self-sows, but you need to leave them for a year and then they come and mm. you just pull out the old ones and chuck them away. 
It looked pretty good with that, I think. Filling spaces, it oh. would look fantastic with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good. So no, but you've you've got some gavillias here. I don't know that we've got. Uh, we are actually out of time. Oh. Although oh. I did just think of a great idea that one time we should just plant a garden with all the things we bring in Absolutely. and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with all the recycled things that we're yes. talking about. Excellent idea. Look, that is all for now. I'd like to thank Rosemary. Thanks so much, so much for womaning the phones. Thanks to Chloe, Evan, and Millie for sharing all your fantastic knowledge and humour and thanks to you the listeners for tuning in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and assuming that Pam was victorious against the aliens she will be back with you all next week so bye for now. Yes.